My favorite tree in the neighborhood is in Schneider Park right over here. It used to be my second favorite tree, but they chopped down my favorite tree. So my favorite tree is now in the middle of Schneider Park, right smack dab in the middle. And the reason it's my favorite tree is because when fall hits, it starts changing to a very, very bright red. And not all at once. It starts just in the center, a branch here and a branch there and works its way out to the edge of the branches. Uh, So for a while, you have these bright green leaves and these bright red leaves at the same time until the whole thing is just a flame with red leaves. There used to be someone I walked the dog with in in the mornings, uh, but her dog has since passed away, and we always used to comment on that tree, and it was so spectacular. When it started changing this year, I took a picture of it on my phone, and when she was at church, I said, look, the tree is starting already. It's pretty neat. Now, suppose that tree was always red, year in and year out, day after day after day, and there are a number of them throughout the neighborhood. You might not be all that excited about the tree. You might go, yeah, we have one of those in our yard, pretty nice. But what if it only turned the spectacular red once every 100 years? And this year was the year that only for maybe the second or third time in the history of our nation, it was going to turn red. There might be barriers up, a bunch of people over there. Maybe we'd have a festival. There'd be food trucks, all kinds of stuff going on. The situation of that tree is going to dictate our behavior. It isn't much different with most aspects of life. Imagine this. You don't believe in an afterlife. You believe that you're going to live, if you're lucky, 80, 85, 90 years, and then after that it's just oblivion. Nothing. Not even your memories live on. And my dad was kind of like that before he returned back to the faith. He really believed you live this life, and after this life there was nothing. And he was a sports maniac, a sports maniac. He wasn't the least bit interested in watching sports at all. The only thing that mattered was playing sports. Golf, tennis, sailing, jogging, biking, skating, windsurfing, ice sailing, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And he woke up early in the morning and he worked hard. And he came home and he played hard and then fell asleep exhausted. He would leave one activity only to get into another activity. And if the one that he was doing was not going exactly the way he wanted, let's say he went sailing and the wind wasn't perfect, he would get angry, pack up all his stuff and go out to the airport and fly a plane. Sometimes we'd all be hauled along with him and most of the time not. In one day, it was just me and my dad in the car. And we were driving along and it was kind of quiet and I was looking out the window And he turned to me and he said, do you know why I do all of these things? And I looked at him and he had, his eyes were kind of glistening, like this is really emotional for him. So I listened because my dad was not an emotional man. He says, do you know why I don't stop moving? It's because one day this is all going to be over and I have to get it in. If you don't think that there's an afterlife, then there's no hope that this life is going to get better or that simply there's going to be more. So if there is no afterlife, 
There's also no consequences to what goes on in this life. It's all about here and now. And what I'm going to be speaking about is very broad trends, not individuals. But in general, without an idea of the afterlife, there's a desperation to make everything about this moment and often accepting lesser goods over an ideal that's not immediately available. So such a person may accept tolerance over unity, license over freedom, distraction over contemplation or self-examination, conviction over truth, instant gratification over patient endurance, momentary happiness over joy, and a religion that affirms your feelings over one that inspires you to be more. This is played out in movies all the time. Good against bad, and the bad guy is in the end shot or blown up or whatever, just obliterated. It's not so that that character is going to go meet his or her maker and face the final judgment for eternity, but rather that every trace of them is wiped off the face of the earth, the ultimate failure. There isn't the placing in the jail or something like that so that they might someday come to see the error of their ways, possibly convert and become a contributing member of society. That's not the way our movies work. Celibacy without eternity is completely ridiculous. In a society that often trades lust for love, this is the ultimate anti-gratification, instant gratification. But for those who sense the next life, it is the pinnacle of looking forward, the sign and symbol, the ultimate sign of who we are waiting for and what we are waiting for. In that way, it is a great thing to do, the giving up of a present possible pleasure for a future life and a way to lead others toward it. This is why the church thinks in centuries, not years. Conversely, it's why our nation tends to think in chunks of four years, not centuries. And fashion thinks in a matter of seasons. That is because if this life is all there is, what's the point of not making it as pleasing to me as possible? And a person is going to work like mad to make sure that things are as fitting as possible. And all of a sudden, if you think this way, all kinds of things start to make sense. Why should another life inconvenience me? Why would seemingly unprofitable lives matter? Why not have the death penalty or euthanasia? Why not physician-assisted suicide? Why should I suffer? Why not drop uh, 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 out of a lifelong marriage if I am not happy? Why not remove religion if it makes me feel guilty? All kinds of things start to make sense. And this is why it is so important for a nation that you are. It is so important that you be Christian and Catholic. You are the designated driver. You are the comforter. You understand thinking outside of time. You know why it's okay to think about building a cathedral, the completion of which you will never see. You understand why it's possible 
to sacrifice your own life. It, and it will make sense if in doing that you bring benefit to others. You understand that there's an ideal toward which we need to shoot as a body, often as the expense of your own desire. And you can do this because you know in your heart that there is a God and that there is heaven. Because of this, you know the dignity and worth of every human soul. And you can say, it is better to embrace life, even if it means hardship in my own personal experience. You can see the logic of sacrificing for others, even when in many ways it's laying down your own life. And you can find hope in a funeral service, even as the loss breaks your heart. You are needed more than you know, and you are needed more than those around you can appreciate. It is difficult to be in the know and to be responsible. Here's a story that I heard on one of my regular podcasts recently. I tried to go back and find it again to tell you the story much better than I'm going to, but I couldn't find it. So I'm going to tell you the story the best way I remember it. There's this high school girl, and this took place a long time ago. Uh, phones, still, the only phones were the ones that were in your house, landlines connected to a wall that were no cell phones. That's how long ago it was. She was a high school girl. She was extremely rebellious as she reports herself, and she was also an, an uh, A-plus student. And one day, she found out that one of her favorite bands was coming to town nearby, and for some reason, that would have meant her having to skip out a part of her school day, and she took off with her boyfriend and went to the concert and came home. And because not only was she rebellious, but also an A-plus student, she wrote about it, submitted it to the newspaper, and her review became published. She cut out her article and sent it to the band, just hoping that someone in the band would actually read it. And as it turns out, they did. And she received a letter one day, and she opened it up, and it was not only from the band, it was from the leader of the band that she was, had quite a crush on. And it was apparent from the letter that he had no idea that she was only a high school student. And he wrote, guess what? We're coming back to town very soon. We should get together. Here's my phone number. And so she starts calling him, and they start having a, a phone relationship for a little while. Now, the house in which she lived, she said their family was very nosy, and they had not a lot of boundaries, and they thought nothing about picking up the phone when someone else was on the phone and just joining in. And her mother found out that she was speaking with an older man on the phone, and she had every intention of putting a stop to it. So one day, when she was talking to her uh, to the, the band guy on the phone and making final arrangements for them to get together, her mother decided to pick up one of the extra lines and say this, Honey, Dindin is ready. It's time to say goodbye to your little friend and come down to dinner. And then hung up. And of course, that was a dramatic ending to the girl's fantasy. And of course, she was angry and disappointed. It was only years later that she realized that her mother was the actual heroine of this story. She was the sign of contradiction. The one with the vision of the future and the one who understood ultimate joy over momentary happiness and excitement. The one who loved so much that she was willing to be hated by the one she loved, and also the one 
who comfort the sadness of her daughter.